Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. And if I thought I didn't want to be here last week, boy am I in for a ride. <laughs> Listen, you jerk. You threatened to leave me by myself for this one. And I was not yes. emotionally or mentally prepared for that because there's a lot to get through with this one. And, and by a lot, I mean like a lot of not good things. Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like I'm well within my right to have at least threatened it, but I didn't leave you high and dry on this one, though this movie could have been left high and dry somewhere, anywhere. Like the dumpster with the other six drafts that should not have made it to the screen across various films. We're not naming names. (laughs) X3. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, <clears throat> I had a tickle in my throat. I need to get my uh, my podcast drinkies. But we're here to talk about X Men: Dark Phoenix. Ugh. Do we have another step above? Ugh. Because yeah, I feel like this one's deserving of it. Uh, you have to add a shudder. So. Ugh. Ah, there you go. There you go. There. Yeah, that's the level. So yeah, um, this one is ugh. And we're we're going to talk about that. But, of course, since we are talking about a movie that came out in ye old 2019, Genesis. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you, Jen. All right. Take us away, Shenko. So, like most X-Men films, we start somewhere in the past before jumping forward to the events to unfold. And this, of course, is no exception to that rule. So it's 1975. <laughs> You're right. Like, we'll, we'll do a foreshadow or, a, a, like, here's an origin bit for you, and then the actual action. That is, wow. That is a hallmark of X-Men movies. It's, it's part of the formula. You can, Don't fix it if it ain't broke. But uh, this one, this one starts out pretty bro- broke because little eight-year-old Jean ends up 
orphaned in a car crash. Mm, I'll get you every time. Yeah. So Charles brings her to his school for gifted youngsters and promises to teach her how to control her mutant abilities. And that, yeah, that's it. That That's our, our flashback to 1975. And now it is the modern day of 1992. <laughs> uh, for a much simpler time. Yeah, like when the space shuttle Endeavor gets damaged by a solar flare. And the president just casually calls up the X-Men to save the astronauts. So we're going to space, guys. New frontiers. We've never been here before. Yeah. I mean, it was... I don't know. There was there was a reason for that. My biggest gripe with this is we're suiting up the X-Men, and where are those spiffy costumes from the end of the last movie? Instead, we're all in these bland, yellow X, almost unitards, or jackets and pants or whatever, and it's just like, okay... So we left originality at the door. We had this really good we had this really good thing going for like two seconds in kind of not a good thing. But you know that one good thing that happened in the bad thing? We're gonna forget all about it and just make more bad things. Yikes. Yeah. Alright. So yeah, we hop up into space and we rescue the crew by doing a bunch of showing off with some powers. But then apparently, for whatever reason, Jean has to go over to the other ship so that she can hold it together, I believe. And unfortunately, she is left behind. And this solar flare, quote, quote, hits her directly and she absorbs the whole thing. Which, by the way, that's not a solar flare. I'll let you guess what that is. Mm. So my question is, what was that thing at the end of the last film, where she had to call upon the power, if she's now absorbing the power. That is a fantastic question. Why did we bother setting up the phoenix if she's going to absorb the phoenix here? No idea! At all! <laughs> In our recurring trend of X-Men films forgetting what happened in prior films... <laughs> <laughs> redoing this origin for the third time <laughs> dang that's actually like one up on spider-man which is really saying something yeah we're still in the same continuity <laughs> like excuse me uh but anyway back at the school xavier explains to everyone that he did some psychic shenanigans and suppressed parts of gene's memory from the car crash in order to protect her from the trauma. But now as her emotional state deteriorates after she absorbed the Phoenix force, it's making her incredibly unstable and it's destroying all of those mental barriers. And now she has crazy PTSD symptoms because, you know, messing with people's brains when they're small children never backfires. We will... Definitely get into the ethics of Xavier's decision here and in the comics. To But for right now, let's just continue this train wreck on its own course. Yeah, so Jean goes back to her hometown after seeing some visions of her dad and finds him very much alive. He survived the car crash and is generally just trying to live as if she doesn't exist. She 
recovers her memories and realizes that um, during the time of the accident, she was not in control of her powers that had begun to manifest and caused the accident that killed her mom. So she's discovering that she is directly responsible for this incident. Um, the other X-Men arrive, and during the fight, Peter's injured, so our Quicksilver is injured. He's slightly better at avoiding injury than our MCU counterpart Quicksilver that we'll talk about later. Sorry. <laughs> wow. But someone does bite it here, and in all honesty, I'm not exactly missing her at this point. Yeah, so Charles does his thing where he makes everyone freeze, and this allows Raven, Mystique, to you know enter the situation and try to persuade Jean into coming back to the school. Except we have a communication breakdown, which is basically the writer saying, well, we can't have Jean tell us what's wrong, so telekinetic explosion, send Raven into the destroyed house, and oh, look, she's impaled. Oops. Yeah, in yet another X-Men trend of wasting characters. Truth be told, it did feel like uh, Lawrence was phoning this one in up to a point. Uh, for starters, uh, you know, makeup was real simple. They only had to do her head and I think her hands because she was in the uh, you know uniforms for the entire thing. And she only spent about half of her screen time blue. So yeah, she just she just wasn't uh, she wasn't in it. I think I feel like yeah. It just like did you have to kill her? <laughs> Great. I mean, in this scene, we sideline two of our heavy hitters, both on the acting level of Jennifer Lawrence and Evan Peters, and on our powers level, the speedster and the amazing shapeshifter. Like in one fight, we're just down to the basics of the X Men. Like any person who's just you know committed some horrible accident and is out of control of her powers, she runs to the mutant refuge on Genosha, run by our good buddy Magneto. Ugh. I'm going to talk about Genosha, quote, quote, later. I know you're going to have feelings. Jean asks him for help because she wants to control her anger, and we know that Magneto's power is deeply affected by his emotional state. But then... <laughs> The military arrives, because that always de-escalates a situation. <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's send the metal helicopters to the island, kind of, you know, run by a guy who controls metal. God, yeah, there, there was absolutely no thought in this entire scene, I feel like. You got two metal helicopters... Every soldier is loaded up with metal guns and bullets. Like, if you were going to attack him, you're in for a severe problem. But, oh, we're here to find Jean Grey. Like, okay, do you have your own telepaths? Your own, like, uh, seers on your team? Because how would you even guess that she was here? Oh, you're just checking at the exact moment she's there? Come on. On, I mean, there's movie shenanigans, and then there's just this. This is something, that's for sure. And then, since we've already dealt with telepaths meddling where man ought not to meddle when 
creating blockages in people's minds, and we're already in a world full of mutants. What else do we need to add to the mix to make this even more interesting? Aliens. We need aliens. <laughs> I can almost picture you, like, shaking up your hair real quick and be like, aliens. And I absolutely despised their intro scene. Like, it took me three, like, watches of that scene to figure out that the dark, like, not-as-dark areas of the trees were moving. These guys are tall, lanky, and the same color as a freaking tree. I mean, I thought they were almost Groot the first time I saw them, but they are shapeshifters. Called the Dabar. Whatever. It was a terrible scene, and this subplot with the aliens is an absolute joke. And not a particularly funny one at that. Oh, and the thing that just absolutely gets me about it, too, is that they got an absolute powerhouse of an actress for this throwaway extra subplot role. Yeah. Uh, Jessica just, uh, Justine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With her acting chops, like, give her something interesting. This was just bizarre. Bizarre, and she was, I, I mean, if she was told to be incredibly wooden, then she did it perfectly, because there's absolutely zero emotion in the entirety of her scenes. At least Sophie Turner figured out how to have emotions between this movie and the previous one. It just, with the talent pool that they had, this should have been blockbuster of the century fall so flat because this is it's just weird right and i feel like even in their shape-shifting scenes like there's that scene where she you know walks through this family and like sucks the life force out of them and just like i don't know i don't know how their power works i don't really understand it i don't really care to but just the effect of like the swirling and the like the draining and then just how it shows her shape-shifting from the alien form into Jessica Chastain. <laughs> it's just weird. It wasn't done very well. This is 2019. I have way higher expectations for CGI, especially, you know, I, I know that the prior film wasn't anything to write home about, but I feel like they probably had a decent enough budget to afford some better aliens, even if they were a weird subplot. Yes. I 100% agree. Our uh, alien Jessica Chastain offers to help Jean learn how to use the Phoenix Force safely. Uh-huh, because that happens. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, because you can totally safely harness cosmic power, uncontrolled, chaotic cosmic power. Uh, Nicholas Hank is... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, because <laughs> they're still flipping him back and forth between human and beast and it's like guys come on just pick, pick one. one i will give the costuming prop uh props for um the scene in the rain when they're burying uh raven blue runs blue dye just gets on everything the second you get it wet and he had on you know a white collar shirt and he's standing in the rain and he's in his bestial form and there is no dye run now maybe they cleaned it up and it's all CGI, and actually that shirt's completely ruined in real life. Who knows? But if not, massive props to the costume department. Yeah, that is insane, I think, as well. I remember doing a makeup test with Green, and Green is disgusting and awful as well. <clears throat> but uh, 
blue tends to track everywhere. I think I even saw a video where they would track Jennifer Lawrence around the set based on where she kept leaving little, like, blue butt prints and footprints and handprints, which is just a kind of, it's kind of hysterical to me to think about. <laughs> anyway, so Hank blames Charles for Raven's death, and he leaves the school and runs off with Magneto and his little faction. And what are they planning to do? They're going to kill Jean. Yeah. Uh, talk about a character assassination. I mean, we've already killed off Raven. We have sideline Quicksilver. We, we never see him again. He gets put in a full body stretcher, taken to the med bay, and is never seen for the rest of the movie until the absolute end. And now we've got Hank abandoning every single bit of moral compass he's ever had going to Magneto and being like, yeah, let's go kill one of my friends. She killed the love of our lives, so we should kill Jean. Yeah, that's a weird little triangle there. <laughs> right? Ugh. Magneto and Beast and Mystique. The odd, the odd thruple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've read some wild things in the comics and this one still takes the cake in like the wtf column yeah well after they learn about magneto's plan kurt nightcrawler teleports all of the x-men all the way to new york in order to save her and while there's a like a battle going on right eric decides this is a time to confront jean and her alien friend vuk uh but jean is on some new level now, and he fails in his in his efforts, to say the least. He gets his butt kicked. She almost, like, uses his helmet to, like, replace his head, which was pretty cool to watch. I mean, it'll protect you from uh, having your mind read, but uh, your mind squished? That's a different story. Mm-hmm. Charles convinces Jean to read his mind, and... This helps bring Jean back out. Feeling bad about everything that's happened, she decides to let her alien bestie take the Phoenix Force from her. But uh, your guy, Scott, steps in and stops her. Dang right. Because uh, our little alien subplot was about to make a power move, and she wanted to take the Phoenix Force and use it to conquer Earth for the Dabari. Yep. Phoenix Force annihilated their planet, so now they're going to use it to basically, like, re-terraform Earth in, for the Dabari. Whatever. Scott stops it, and then the government shows up, and uh, to paint the picture real quick, they have uh, power-neutralizing collars and a very effective task force, plus a detention camp that they're planning to send all of these captured mutants. Earlier in the movie, Xavier is on fantastic, friendly terms with all of the higher-ups of the government. I mean, he's got the direct line to the president, all of this stuff. And so, like, the idea was that after the apocalypse event, mutants were on a better, good footing now. And yet, the government has all this stuff absolutely ready to go out the first sign of trouble? That tells me a lot. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, moving on. They confine the mutants on a train. And I'm sure 
uh, I'm sure that Eric loves this. I mean, he'd probably like it more if he didn't have a power neutralizing collar wrapped around his neck. They're confined on a train, and it's just, it's not good. They've got the collars, and during this time, the Dabari attack, overpowering the military, and during this, all of the mutants are freed. Charles and Scott convince Hank and Eric that Jean is still able to be saved, and they need to work together. So... They work together in order to fend off the Dabari, and Charles does some more mind stuff. And he communicates with Jean, and she forgives him, and saves everyone from the train wreck, and disintegrates the remaining Dabari, because we, we already saw that she can, she can do the disintegrating thing. You know, prior to going to space to absorb the phoenix force that she somehow tapped into before absorbing the phoenix force yet okay look you gotta stop bringing up this plot hole otherwise it's going to keep like you know screwing us up listen all right the plot hole exists (laughs) and it bothers me this movie exists and it bothers me (laughs) same but we are almost we're getting towards the end here thank the lord and in one last effort, Vuk tries to drain the Phoenix Force from Jean, who then pulls a Superman and flies them into space (laughs) in order to unleash the full power of the Phoenix Force and kill her. Jean then transforms into, you guess it, a Phoenix-shaped being of pure energy. And then disappears. Yeah. (sighs) They rename the school. Yep, for absolutely no reason. It's now the uh, Jean Grey School of Gifted Youngsters. Never minding the fact that Raven's also dead, but hey, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess they just didn't think that the Raven Darkholm School for Gifted Youngsters would be uh, appropriate. I don't know, I think it sounds pretty cool. Charles retires young-ish. Relative, I mean, he was in his late 20s in 1962 and it is now 1992 so i mean sure yeah sure and he leaves hank in in his place which fair i guess uh good job nicholas holt in paris because you know we can't just stay in one one spot charles is surprised at a cafe by eric who invites him for a game of chess which will become a thing I guess, for them, whenever they meet up. And our little phoenix appears in the sky. Aww. So sweet. And that's it. There are There is no, like, stinger. There is no mid credit scene. There's nothing. This finally ends the X-Men franchise as we know it. And what a sour note to go out on. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just... They kind of declined, and then they just said, We're, we live here now. This is, this is fine. It's funny that in the third one, they, they, had, they were talking about Star Wars, because it was 1983 or something. And so they were, the characters were debating about the best Star Wars movie. And the end of that debate, Jean Grey says, Well, at least we can all agree the third one's the worst. Which, because that was an apocalypse, what a very telling sentence. 
and then we follow it up with the fourth one, and woo, boy, <laughs> this is even worse. It wastes so much potential. It completely overwrites or completely rewrites history as we know it, uh, both in IRL and in their own fictional world. I mean, basically, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix cannot exist within the structure narrative of X1 through Days of Future Past. They it, they can't, because characters change, people who should be in charge aren't, team members are dead who shouldn't be, other team members are heroes and remembered as such when they should be terrorists. I mean... Nothing about this made any sense. Yeah. They they forget what happens in the prior films and then just tangent off and then it becomes such a divergence from where they started that it's not even possible to interconnect it. And within continuity of these films, so much has been retconned because they didn't know what they were doing or what direction they were going in. Days of Future Past left us with Wolverine as a teacher at the school. I don't even understand how the timeline works, and maybe you can explain it better, but... No, I because for Apocalypse to exist within the X1 through Days of Future Past timeline, so much other has to have occurred. Because, again, we, we first we met Nightcrawler in X2. He doesn't know the X-Men. He's on the run, and he's more than happy to just be Kurt. And then we pull up Apocalypse, and we have Nightcrawler on the X-Men team, working with them. He knows Gene and Scott extensively. He has zero reaction to them in the prior movie. Yeah. For this one, you know, here we end. Xavier's not in charge of the school. It's called the Gene Grey School. So for... The end of Days of Future Past to make sense. Like, come on. Heck, Gene's alive at the end of Days of Future Past. Wolverine's thrilled about it because he was the one who killed her. He remembers doing it. And so what, she had two mental breakdowns? She came back again before she had another one and destroyed half of Alcatraz? Like, for whatever reason, and I can't explain it, the writing team just said, well, we need the these certain beats in this movie, and we're just going to do it. Kinberg was the writer for both. He was the director for this one. And I just don't understand. Like, he had such a passion for these characters. For him to do this twice shows it. But to be so wrong about it is is insane, almost. Like, do you not understand your source material? Even within your own narrative that you've created source material, do you not understand it in order to create movies that make sense? Come on, this is like basic screenwriting 101 here. No, you're, you're, absolute, you're absolutely right with that. This movie had no direction within what currently existed. It was a departure even from the crap we got prior, too in a completely different way and obviously in a worse way i think and I, I thought it was nigh on impossible to get worse from where we were and you know recastings aside it just none of it none of it makes any sense at all within what they're trying to set up and it's been that they didn't do another movie did they 
No. To date, there has not been another X-Men movie. Um, part of it is probably due to the the buyout and everything that happened. Uh, Disney's obviously going to try to reframe the uh, mutants and X-Men into their line of MCU, which is why we're discussing it, because Patrick Stewart picked up the role of Xavier for uh, for the second Doctor Strange movie, and that's that's kind of our connection here is is that that's why we're discussing it here. But other than that, there is not been any big plans. I mean, they, there's rumors. So there, I think there's a rumor for it to maybe be a television show, which is where the X Men I would say have thrived. It's as movie franchises go, the X Men are middling at best. You've got some good ones. You've got mostly a plethora of men and you got a couple of bad apples but as a television franchise you've got the 90s cartoon which everyone remembers fondly um you've got x-men evolution which went on fantastically you even got wolverine in the x-men which was pretty good for its one season it was a little wasteful of its uh cast and characters but overall it's pretty good and i feel like their stories work better in that episodic nature rather than in these grand spectacles like the the avengers work on a grand spectacle level because their comics were written that way this was these were threats that only a team that came together every once in a while could really work together and do something about versus the x-men's where they've got big threats like magneto and apocalypse but you've also got the day-to-day stuff of being a mutant in a world that for whatever reason still hates people with powers even though it it's like, oh, if you've got super strength from a super soldier serum, that's fine. But, uh, hey, you were born with super strength and you accidentally ripped out your locker? Ooh, I fear you now. Yeah, that never made very much sense to me why there was such a big line between uh, powers you're born with and powers you achieve uh, within the Marvel Universe. But I think... The reason X-Men works so well as a TV series is because you have to give time to the individual characters in order to allow them to shine. And in film, that's a very difficult thing to do because you're trying to stay within a two, two and a half sometimes uh, runtime. I mean, three if you're the Avengers. We allow that. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it doesn't allow enough time for investment in characters. The Avengers, I feel, only worked because you had the setup of each character getting their own individual film. And then it's like, okay, we already know about Captain America, and we already know about Iron Man, and we already know about the Hulk. You know, now, now we can tell the story of, of them coming together to fight these alien invaders. Yes. With the X-Men, we don't get enough individual time with the characters within the films for them to tell as compelling of a story. The little five-minute throwaway flashback scenes to tell the backstory of a character are in no way enough to convey the messages that these characters ultimately ultimately bring, because that's what the X-Men are about. They have their little messages and their meanings and um, the overarching themes not necessarily within the scope of the comics that I think X-Men has always done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see the source material... And I know especially for you, since you're a much bigger X-Men fan than I am, being disrespected the way that this film did from a director who should care a little bit more is just disappointing. 
Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I can't, I can't articulate that any better than that. So, I guess on that note, let us go into the mid-break where we have, you know, at least something more interesting to discuss. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome to the mid-break. We'd like to thank everyone who has stuck with us this long. And if you've been a part of the Patreon, big thank you. You too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description. Uh, there's several tiers. Two of them get you on the show. It's a win-win. So, you know, pop in, say say hi. You can be on with us and discuss whatever gets voted on. And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. Five-star reviews will get read out on the show. We don't currently have one at this time. Um, these ratings really do help us, though. The more five-star reviews we have, the higher we show up in the searches, the more views we get, and the more interactions we get to have with you guys. And if you want to chat with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robot Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for this show. I was just talking with someone today. A uh, link for the Discord will be in the show description. And then speaking of shows on the robots, uh, tell us about the Fight Space, Shenko. Absolutely. I'm also a host on a little show called The Fight Space. It's a show where I interview fighters, combat athletes, tell stories, and share a little bit about the community surrounding the world of combat sports. It can be a community that's a little bit gatekept, a little bit inaccessible, and I'm trying to open up those doors and tell the stories of the people within the community in a way that's a little bit more friendly to the layman. I'm also about to be covering a big karate combat event, and I'll be there as a media correspondent. I've got a few amazing things lining up, so definitely keep an eye out for new episodes dropping soon. Heck yeah, nice. Uh, where else can we find you? I've got the Mass Effect Blue Shift. It's a tabletop RPG podcast that uses the Fate system. Uh, we play Citadel security agents solving crimes on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month. Uh, we just dropped actually the big combat episode of our second part of our raid. It was a lot of fun that I got to work on. So that's it for the mid-break, so let's pop into the other half of this. Alright, so here is a first for the show. I have no new characters to discuss. Dun-dun-dun! Like, what? Right, so I know there's a couple of you who are thinking, like, uh, what about Dazzler? She had the one cameo, and I'm not gonna waste time here talking about her when i could wait until she has a proper movie and you can be introduced to her appropriately rather than on this cheap franchise ending movie there's also like our shape-shifting alien race and knockoff emma frost in the place of the hellfire club we're not going to discuss them 
And on the creation of Genosha, this movie's version was an absolute joke. It was it was not the grand, sprawling, thriving community of mutants. It was like 50 people stuck on an island with a bunch of logs and an axe. It's not Genosha. That's Survivor or Lost. Listen, just let Magneto have his forest commune with his family. All he wants is a simple lumberjack lifestyle. For a man who has a metal power, he wants to be a lumberjack so badly. It's, I mean, like, axes are made out of metal. Listen, all I'm saying is, if you ever got into a log-splitting competition with Magneto, you would probably lose. Yeah, of course. He doesn't have to actually, like, pick up the axe. He can just, like, push it through a log. <laughs> Listen, he's just very accustomed to having his lumberjack lifestyle and then having some people come and kill his family. So <laughs> let him have his terrible Genosha. Okay, so what am I going to discuss here? Well, I figured I'd do a little bit more of a deep dive on Jean Grey as that she is the main character of this movie. Like her inner struggles and outer struggles, that's all about that, about this movie. So I figured I'd go a little bit more into just more than what I did when I just said I introduced her all the way back on our very first episode of on X1. So we have Jean Grey, aka Marvel Girl, aka Phoenix, aka Dark Phoenix, introduced in X-Men number 1 in September 1963 by Legends Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Later, Chris Claremont and his team created the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix storylines in the late 70s to the early 80s. So one of the big detractors from the movie, or from the comics in this movie, is she has a very supportive family structure with living parents and a large extended family versus killing her family when she was eight years old in the movie via car crash, because apparently we don't have enough orphans at the Xavier School for Higher Learning. Now, there is a dark side to her family, unfortunately. The Shi'ar, in one of their paranoid states of fear and stupidity, killed every Grey related to Jean to keep the Phoenix from coming back after Jean's death at the end of Grant Morrison's new X-Men title. The events described occur in, in Uncanny X-Men number 466 through 471 by Claremont, Chris Bacalo, and Billy Tan. Now, for the events in question, where Xavier suppressed the memory of her killing her mom and making it seem like her dad died as well. This, there was a similar event in the comics. At about the same age, Jean was out playing with a friend named Annie. Annie was killed in a hit and run, and that's when Jean's telepathy manifested, and she felt her best friend die. Now, as a 8, 9, 10-year-old, it's already traumatic enough to probably be holding your best friend while they die in your arms, but to physically, mentally feel them dying is a trauma none of us can really describe. And it sent her into a severe depression, and a psychiatrist that was friends with the Greys was able to get a hold of Xavier and introduce the Greys to Xavier. And when he came down, he helped repress that memory and the use of her telepathy, harnessing that power into telekinesis instead. So she was already being trained to use both, but shutting off the telepathy until he could help her unlock those skills later 
and develop them without all that trauma on top of it. Now, that trauma was revealed in due time, but not not related to any of the uh, uh, Phoenix stuff, actually. Speaking of the Phoenix, right? So, before the X-Factor retcon, Jean Grey absorbed the Phoenix Force while out on a space mission, and this event has been pretty well covered, most notably in the 90s animated series. Team's a little different, but for the most part, dead on. And at first, she is a force for good, and she uses the powers of the Phoenix to protect the universe from the deranged Shi'ar Emperor Daken. She was a hero, beloved by all. And now we bring in the Hellfire Club. Frost, Shaw, and others attempted to distort Jean's mind and bring the Phoenix under their control, because nothing says power, money-grubbing socialites like Frost and Shaw. Unfortunately, they instead unleash the darker aspects of the Phoenix Force, because as fire is a cleansing force, it is also a destructive one. And the Phoenix is represented of both life and death. Jean goes bonkers and goes on a cosmic binger. And in the process, she absorbs the power of a whole star, because that's what the Phoenix feeds on. Unfortunately, she happened to pick a star system that was inhabited. This was the system of the Dabaris, who are never seen, like, ever. They, they just, they're mentioned, like, oh yeah, this was their system, there were five billion of them, and she killed them all, because she ate their star. Listen, I, under- I understand being hangry, but a whole star? A whole star. And also in the comics... There were no survivors. We're not seeing them come back and try to piece back together their empire or anything. They didn't have an empire. They had a planet. So Jean comes back and shenanigans happen. And she she and Xavier manage to kind of like put the Phoenix back away. And she kind of tries to regain control. Uh, However, the Shi'ar, you got to love these people. They are absolutely insane. They saw the destruction. And they pulled the X-Men into a trial by combat to prove her innocence. They got their butts kicked. They were taken to the moon. Half their team couldn't fight. It was it was like a shutout, but for the worst possible things. So Jean realizes there's nothing that the X-Men can do. She re-taps into the Dark Phoenix aspects of herself and sacrifices herself seemingly to destroy the phoenix force in the process that was it that was where this ended and happy with their doling out of intergalactic justice the shiar left to date this is a side note i cannot think of one storyline that the shiar are either are are not either absolutely useless or completely stupid Uh, to me there is absolutely no wonder why they haven't made the jump to the big screen and there's a big part of me that hopes they never do. And then back with our X-Men, we don't have to deal with Phoenix or Jean Grey again until X-Factor, where they decided we need the original five back on the same comic book team, and we're going to completely annihilate everything we've built up to now to do it. Because a total swipe of the slate is, is totally what's needed all the time. All the time. So... I wanted to discuss real quick um, the ethics of Xavier's decision. Now, this may seem odd coming from me, but I kind of support what he was trying to do. 
Mm-hmm. If, as if anyone knows, and we've all been, you know, children ourselves, you know, eight, nine, ten, we all can somewhat remember somewhat like being that age and not being in, you know, the best control of your emotions, becoming incredibly angry or incredibly sad or whatever, you know. Now imagine you have the power to enter other people's minds and in a heightened state of distress, be it anger, pain, sadness, the incalculable amount of damage you can do to someone else in that state with that kind of power. Like this opening scene in the movie, Jean Grey was hearing the voices of, I don't know, basically her parents, and she was trying to shut it out. And she accidentally either put her mom to sleep or completely mind wiped her. It's unclear. She just, her mom falls unconscious. Problem is, mom was the one who was driving. And car swerves into oncoming traffic, hits a bigger truck, flips, and seemingly kills everybody except Jean, who has a telekinetic bubble around her. I can understand why another telepath who who has had years at this point to harness his own craft would try to suppress that. The The issue I have is how he decided to not talk to her about it when she came of age and help her work through that trauma later. He just left it. Now, this is the movie Xavier, comic book Xavier. Like I said, he he didn't do that. He didn't just leave it alone. He helped her work through that stuff later when she was an adult and could deal with her emotions better just because of her maturity. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with you there because I think if he had not intervened, it would have been uh, it would have been dangerous for not just Jean but everyone surrounding her and it would have been impossible to help her if she was just a complete emotional shutout and he had the capability to just go in and and change it. I agree as well where you don't like where he chose not to speak to her about about the trauma because unfortunately typically with things like trauma the best way to air it out is to talk about it. And when she's discovering these new parts of her powers and then has to be faced with the reality that her mentor, someone who's supposed to be 100% trustworthy, someone she can always put her faith in, has hidden something like this from you and has actively suppressed a part of your power and taken something away from you and not necessarily by your choice is a massive problem with a lot of not-so-good undertones. Yeah, I mean, precisely. I mean, unfortunately, this entire movie boils down to bad communication i mean at no point does any character with the you know power to uh, steer the conversation in any kind of meaningful way do so every time everyone's trying to talk to gene she's like i can't talk to you i can't tell you it's all just pain and it's like okay and instead of choosing those if you just did talk to anything anybody you wouldn't have uh, i don't know killed Two people. There's that that little thing, that little throwaway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and then if Xavier had just, you know, she turned eighteen or whatever, and I was like, okay, so Jean, I got, I've 
We're going to have a very hard conversation, and I'm very sorry about it, but you're an adult now, and we need to work our way through this. Now, I guess he... The movie tries to paint up that Xavier was really loving the attention of positivity that the mutant kind had... That he was garni uh, garnishing for the mutants, right? Glad-handing it with uh, the president and, you know, members of Congress and other world powers. And I also understand that he got into an uh, argument earlier with the movie with Mystique about how we're all just one bad day away from them labeling us as monsters again. And he's, as evidenced by the movie, by the government being 100% ready to go with callers and detention centers, he was absolutely right. Like, they try to paint Mystique as being the uh, holier-than-thou on that, like, like that she's in the right, that, you know, Xavier, Xavier cares more about image than he cares about the X-Men, but... <sighs> I don't think that was the case at all. Xavier knew the score. He knew, I think he knew on some level that all it took was one more big apocalypse event and they were going to be hunted to, to extinction. And he was trying everything he could to keep that from happening. Yeah, let's, let's, let's play peacekeeper. Let's not rock the boat. They're not actively trying to kill us right now. So let's, let's ride with it for a minute. But inaction ultimately bit him in the butt. Uh, yes, 100%. Like, his focus on not rocking the boat had the detrimental effect of him not paying attention to his X-Men. And then that led to an event where one of them had the bad day in front of the world. Yeah, and none of it was handled very well by this film. And where I want to go back with it is just that this film could have done so much. I mean, I mean, every bad film I think that we've talked about had so much potential and a lot of momentum coming into it. I mean, this one's probably one of the exceptions because the movie that it came out of or that it followed was not the best either. But how did we end up here? It's the end of the franchise and it was the weakest one. That is a fantastic question and one that I do ask myself. The X-Men had so much going for it, and it has such a rich history of stories. And how is it that on a second come-around for the Dark Phoenix, you still couldn't get it right? I mean, for whatever reason, they couldn't use the Hellfire Club, which is almost integral to the Dark Phoenix saga. They are the reason she goes mad and does what she does. So... The second you have a story where you can't include them, I would have just said, like, then we don't do the movie. If I, if I were Kenberg, that's what I would have done. I would have picked any other storyline and done that instead. And, you know, it also didn't need to be done since you had already done the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, you screwed it up and you, that was going to stay, the you know, become the stand for the test of time. But whatever, you did it. So trying to shoehorn it back into here... It's just a bad idea. It was just a bad idea from the get-go. Mm -hmm. yeah, the whole thing didn't need to happen. It, we could have ended this on... I mean, Apocalypse was not, not great, but it could have ended there. Yeah. We could have done the whole Mr. Sinister story, which was what they were setting up with the stinger at the end of uh, Apocalypse with the Essex Corporation. 
We could have done the Mutant Massacre, which could have given us a reintroduction to uh, Gambit, who was there, plus all of the uh, Marauders, including a new Sabretooth, if necessary, and Mr. Sinister, who has a very, very sick obsession with Cyclops and Jean Grey. So we could still have had a story focused around uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey and a villain who is all about manipulating them. Mm. On top of one of the, you know, most memorable moments in Claremont's run and in X-Men, it's in the top 10. It's still talked about in the top 10 events of that define the X-Men is the uh, mutant massacre of the Morlocks. Totally could have just done that movie instead of this. Yeah, I feel like with with X-Men, they get to the end of the run and they go, here's this. And the, the this is like the weird gift that your estranged aunt gives you at Christmas. Like, it's, it's oh, you know, I had the, I've had this for a while. It's been sitting in my closet for like six years. It's definitely a re-gift also. Um, but I but I put it in a new bag this time. I hope you like it. And we didn't. No. No, we didn't. Th- this 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 was the this was the baby poop colored sweater from the mothball filled drawer in grandpa's closet that she thought that you might want. Oh you're not wrong, but oh because I know that sweater. <laughs> <laughs> you have three of them in your closet. I do not <laughs> take that back. <laughs> I'm going to send you three now. Uh, thanks. You're welcome. That is a great place for us to end tonight. Um, thank you all for sticking with us on this episode. Um, next week, I believe, is either a character episode or we are taking a short hiatus. I'm not 100% which. So if we don't get another episode next week, we took the hiatus. Sorry. Uh, We love you all, and good night. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credits section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this and you our fans without whom this would be a vanity project let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on apple or a rating on spotify and to quote stan the man enough said are you a fan of elden ring are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. 
Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere. <laughs>